Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Great. Well, I loved uh, Fred's offering example and uh, his narrative I thought was interesting. 70% of what you earn is spent by others, (laughs) especially your kids. (laughs) Case in point. Excellent. Well, it's good to have a lot of fun. Um, We're in the middle of a series uh, called Strength and Courage. This is our Strength and Courage series, if you're new. Uh, All these messages or one from each of the Sundays on podcasts, on iTunes or our, our own BC website or our app. In fact, if you want to download the BC app, you can play our, our, our messages from the app as well. Anyway, this morning we're continuing with that series and um, we're talking on a topic that one leader said uh, was almost as bad as having your wisdom teeth removed as a topic. So um, it's going to be very interesting this morning, but um, we've, we've led into it wonderfully this morning on the, through, the, through the offering and through what was said in communion about God being the God who gives. And so our theme this morning is a heart to give, a heart to give, a heart to give. Um, and we are going to touch on finances this morning because um, I was thinking about this. God spoke to us many months ago about the journey of the church, this church in particular, this congregation, this fellowship of believers. And I know in my heart where God is taking us as a church. I know uh, what he's led on as a journey and where we are in that journey. I'm going to share a few th- personal thoughts uh, as we go forward this morning. But um, when we talk about finance, it's one of those topics that, that cuts right into the pulse of life for, for many of us. And, um, and it becomes very emotive. People get all sorts of issues. I, I know in marriage they say that financial matters are probably the number one issue that causes marriage breakdown. I'm sure there are other big, big issues, but finance often is. Now God doesn't want us to live under the pressure or the bondage of being tied to finance for our future. Let me tell you that. He doesn't. He's, his whole heart for finance is to release it um, in through his church, into the world. His, his heart is to release it. In fact, the scripture says, I'm not going to preach on this this morning, it says you can't worship both God and, not just money, mammon, mammon, mammon. You can't worship both. It's one or the other. And why is that? We're not going to explore that this morning, but there's a reason. It's because the, this, the spirit of this age is money mad. It's absolutely money mad. And Fred uh, touched on that in the offering this morning. But for us who are believers, we need to look at this topic because... There's a number of key things. One, those of us who don't understand God's principles in the kingdom about finance need to understand it. Firstly, we've got to understand it. Secondly, those who just are very generous anyway and don't know necessarily why uh, things are going on the way they're going on in their lives or understand the motive or the purpose behind what they're doing will reveal some of that this morning. And we're going to pick up on it as we go forward. You know... um, whether you like it or not, Jesus spoke about finances hugely in the New Testament. In fact, it's one of the most talked about topics in the Bible. Um, certainly in the New Testament, it's all over the place. And you may think, oh, it talks of, about a lot of other things. Well, it does, but when it comes to very personal things about human beings, finance and, and wealth and treasure is right at the heart of a lot of what goes on in the New Testament. You may not realise it. If I just throw a couple of thoughts at you... Um, Jesus sat in the temple and watched the widow put her coin in the box. And he told the people about it. Um, Who did he say you should pay your taxes to? Caesar. Um, 
What about the parable of the talents and what you should do? And that's in multiple parts of the New Testament. What about kingdom and where your treasure is? God talks about this. He talks about it in the Old Testament and the New. Why does he do it? Because it, it's an area that touches everybody's life. And actually, someone once said, you know, um, either God's got to come through for me or I need a load of money to get by. You see how it's interesting how, how these things balance up. People, they, if they think they've got loads of finance, they think that's going to solve stuff. And as was said this morning, finance doesn't solve stuff. Finance is a vehicle to providing things for the future or providing things for today. It's only a vehicle. Um, it's a vehicle, and we'll explore some of that. But um, let me tell you first off, I want to commend BCC. I want to commend all of you. I want to commend this church. I, I believe this church is doing an absolutely amazing thing in the kingdom of God. There's a lot more we can develop. There's a lot more we can move into. But this church is doing extraordinarily. And financially, this church is stronger now than it was last year. And it was stronger last year than it had been for a number of years. And let me tell you why that is. It's because we're doing the right things before God. We're not prioritising on things like finance. We're prioritising on God, our spiritual disciplines, on the things that draw us close to him. We, you, you know our values, and if you're new to the church, last year we talked about our values. Um, but increasing generosity is one of our values. Now, it's not just generosity, it's increasing generosity. But why is it that we talk like this? Because I know from my life that um, over my journey, I've seen God move immensely in the area of finance immensely and sometimes people get stuck with the bits and pieces of, of issues around finances and don't realize actually finance is a means to an end it is not an end in itself and people look at it they get caught in their debt traps or in their poverty mindsets and the trouble is when you get there you think everything is defined by whether you've got a few more pounds it's not it's just not it's not you're not defined by your wealth you're not defined by your finance God is the one who defines you. our identity is Christ so we've got to think differently about this whole thing. And the trouble is we can get caught up because there is a possibility that you can worship mammon and be poor. Isn't that amazing? You can be in poverty and worship mammon because you think that's your route out of your trap. It's not true. God is the route out. God is the way forward. God is the provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. God is the provider. You know, look at the sparrows. Uh, anyway, let's look forward in this. I just want to tell you, about the journey of BCC. Um, a couple of years ago, the church was having a tough time. It was a tough time for those of you who were around then. Um, it was a tough time in a number of different areas, and, uh, and that reflected behind the scenes in our finances. And for a number of years, our finances were dropping, dropping, dropping. And it was, it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. We were trying to tighten the belt, and yet we had good numbers, but we were seeing lots of people coming and going and coming and going. Um, and actually, at the end of 2013, it was probably the worst year we'd had for years. Um, though we'd had some amazing years. And now that was a reflection of stuff that wasn't really directly... At, it wasn't a finance issue, it was actually a completely different set of issues. But finance became a byproduct of some of those issues. But BCC was in a very, very difficult situation. As we've gone on, let me tell you, uh, the eldership, the leaders in this church, the directors of BCC, we don't sit down and scrutinise people's giving. We don't look at it. We don't, we don't analyse you and, and look at... We just trust God that he's going to provide what he is going to provide for his kingdom. That's how we look at it. And so, um, so as we turn the page from 2013 and went into 2014, let me tell you, overnight things changed financially in the church. Overnight, the church went from being in a very, very tight situation to being, suddenly, it was clear. Suddenly, it was clean. 
And I, we, you know, part of me, because my background is a business background, and I worked in the secular world for years and years and years. Um, and in that world, we did deal with very large amounts of money in regular situations. But understanding finances is important. We know that we have to manage our household finances. And so part of me wanted to go back and scrutinise what had happened between December and January 2013 going into 14. And you know what? I just thought, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. It's God's provision. This is his church. I'm just going to trust him for what he's doing. And uh, I've seen that many times in my life, even coming out of the secular world and coming into full-time ministry was a choice I made. And it wasn't based on finance. It was based on submitting myself to God, submitting my life to Christ. If we live our lives based on prioritizing around finance, we will miss it right royally in terms of the kingdom because we'll be constantly drawn by mammon. We'll be constantly drawn by, I've got to work longer hours. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to pander to what my boss says. I've got to, I've got to prove I can do X, Y, Z. You'll be driven Right? And God doesn't want you to be like that. God wants you to be released and free, but he will provide. Now, in, um, about a year and a half ago, God showed me Isaiah 37.30. This is the only kind of, um, well, this is part of the intro, but Isaiah 37.30, and this is what he said to me. Uh, this year you will eat only what grows by, up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. Do you remember that, Adam? We sat down in a staff meeting and started to talk about this. It was just over a year ago, a year and a bit, year and a half, something like that. And it hit us right between the eyes. God was speaking directly into our church. There's no question. There was a three-year change going on in BCC. Now, it seemed like, at the time, it seemed like a, well, this, is, this seems to, three years? That's a long time. But you know what? We are in that journey. And if you look at, well, we know behind the scenes what's going on, and we can see this is exactly what's happened to BCC. This is exactly what our journey's been. This year, and this is referring to a couple of years back, you will eat only what grows up by itself. We had to trust God to provide everything in this house. Everything. And next year, you will eat what springs up from that. Well, that, I believe, was 2014, going into this year. And by, but in the third year, you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and you will eat their fruit. We're moving into a time. This is a seasonal call. And I'm the pastor of this church. I'm telling you, this is a seasonal call. God is calling this church to plant and harvest. You've got to take this on board. It's a plant and harvest time. We're going into, we're going into a plant and harvest time. If you believe this, start to listen to what I'm saying this morning. God is going to pour out his blessing on this church like you have never, ever seen before. And I've been here for years. And this church has gone from subsistence to poverty, to subsistence, to a bit of affluence, to subsistence, to poverty, to affluence, to expansion, up and down, up and down. But we've been the same pretty much for the last... It's been the same since I've been here. And I've been here getting on for 30 years. Now, I haven't been the pastor all that time. I've been the lead pastor for under two. But let me tell you this that God is doing something right now. And he spoke to me earlier on this year. And he said, Mark, I am going to prosper the people in this church because I need them to prosper so that I can build through them. It's exactly what Fred said this morning. So we have got to start to think, how is God going to do that? It, he's going to do it because church is holistic. Church is not Sunday morning. It is not just your life group. It's not just the prayer meeting on Wednesday. It's not pebbles. It's not... It's all these things. But you know what? Church goes right into your office, into your school, into your hospital, into your, co into your working environment. It goes right there. Wherever you are, the church is present. Right? So it's holistic. 
Everything that you touch is part of where the church's expression is. So it's holistic. And so if God is going to bring about what he needs to bring about, he will holistically do it in all of those areas. So I know, and I've been watching this, right? You don't know what I've been watching, but I've been watching this for some time. I've been watching and praying. Watching. Why do you think we pray every week as a church? It's not for finances. It's for God's kingdom to come. It's for God's will to be done. You know, as we are obedient to God's will, what does he say? The biggest thing going on right now if I say to anybody in the prayer meeting, what's the biggest thing we're talking about in the prayer meeting right now? What is it? Blessing. Blessing. God's blessing. God's blessing. And we want God's blessing in all our lives. And God wants to give us blessing in all our lives. But there are things that stop that happening because of where we put our worship. Let me tell you, where you put your worship is where you get your result. And if your worship is in finance, you will get a financial issue crop up in your life and God will just say okay you worship your finance if that's your big issue then that's your big issue let's see how that gets you out of a situation now let's turn to Matthew 7 1 and 2 in the ESV we're going to change track slightly now I wanted to just set that 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 expectation of where we are as a church so what I'm saying is that and this is if nothing else God is about to do something phenomenal across the holistic footprint of this church. It's not just Sundays. It's not just what we do together as a church. It's what we do in everywhere we touch. That means watch out for your careers. Look at You'll get opportunity. This is what's going to happen. I'm prophesying now. You'll find that you get opportunity to become more financially sound. You'll find it. You'll find that your situation and your circumstances, is going to, they're going to change. But they're going to change because God is going to pour things into your life that he wants you to release in your life. The danger will be that when he pours it in, you go, well, haven't I done a great job? Haven't I done the right thing? Oh, I've got what I deserve. But if you do that, you won't be worshipping God. You'll be worshipping mammon. That's the danger. When that time comes, know this, that God is already preparing to pour into your life what you need, more than what you need. And we'll pick it up as we go along in the scripture. But what are you going to do when God starts to do that? You're going to go, well, that's me. That's just because I'm so great. It's because I'm the best at what I, I do. But God is saying, look, I'm about to do it. Just draw yourselves into line with me. Be on my track and then we'll see what goes on. So Matthew um, 7, 1 to 2 ESV says, Judge not that you, not, you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, what's that talking about? You can shout out. Rarely. Don't normally encourage it, but today you can shout out. What, that, what are these two verses talking about? Judge not and you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. <laughs> and it says it four times. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What it, what's that talking about? Sorry. Judging. It's talking about judging. The, these, it's, it's judging, right? These two verses are talking explicitly about judging. But there's a parallel couple of verses in another gospel that parallel Matthew 7. I'm sure you're aware of that. But it's interesting, Matthew was a fisherman. So he just kind of got to the point, wrote down what he saw in the Beatitudes, that was it. But what it was about, he talked about judging. He just wrote down what he saw. It's interesting. But there's another person in the New Testament, Dr. Luke. Now he's a doctor and he understood the detail of things. So he expanded the same account in the book of Luke. Luke 6, 37 to 38. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Okay, he's expanded it slightly. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Expands it again. Give and it will be given to you. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, what are those verses talking about? Giving, right. No, they're talking about judging. It's talking about judging. But we, for years, who have been in church life, know that Luke 6.38 is always used for giving. It's used to prioritise giving. Let me tell you this. God's plan, it's not about giving to get. Right? It's not. Because the people who talk about giving to get use that verse out of context and they say, um, give and you will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll pour into your lap. With the measure you use it, it'll be measured back to you. And they use it to say, the more you give, the more you'll get. And so we end up in the church having a mindset, a priority mindset that says, well, actually, the only reason to give is to get. And so we actually respond to the whole giving thing. It's all about what we're going to get out of it. And actually, that is totally not what God's intention is. It never was his intention to give to get. His intention was to give to give. Yeah. It was give to give. That's what it was. It was never about giving to get. It's all about giving to give. The, you know, New Living Translation, it says in verse 38, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The trouble is we, we tie it to finance, and so we feel in bondage. Well, how come I didn't get back what I thought? Where's my, where's my multiplication factor? How come it didn't come back tomorrow? Now, we get the stories where, you know, I've had the experience where you give, and then suddenly you get a miraculous gift, and, you know, 10 becomes 100, or 100 becomes 1,000, or even more, 1,000 becomes 10,000. I have been in that situation where that's happened. But that's not why we do it. We don't give to get. We give to give. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to give, is giving to give. You know, if you, um, if you give apple seeds, what do you get? Apple trees. And when you get apple trees, you get apples. And when you get apples, you get more apple seeds. So we know that the kingdom of God and finance is about the organic conversation. We know that. But, and it's also true that these verses do apply to finance. They do, but they're not the priority. It's all, it starts off talking about judging. It goes on and talks about condemning. It goes on and talks about forgiveness. So actually, we're talking about life here. These verses apply to life, and they do have application with finance, but that's not the priority. The priority is life. Do you want your life to be blessed? Do you want God's blessing on your life? then the principle does apply. It does apply, but it's what you do with what you've got in all these areas. So you know what? If you're going to criticise, these verses apply. If you're going to judge aggressively somebody, if you're going to be critical of them, if you're going to look at it and make a conclusion based on your observation and then take action based on that, well, watch what comes back to you. Because these verses are a principle in the Kingdom of God. They're a principle. Judgment, criticism, bad produces bad. There's no question about it. We know that from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> we know that bad produces bad, but good produces good. Let me tell you that. Giving generously produces generosity. Giving financially does produce finances. Giving kindness produces kindness. Giving compassion produces compassion. Showing love produces love. It melts people's lives. So the principle's there. It's there. But it's not about motivating to give to get. It's about giving to give. And here's the shocker. I'm not sure God does bless giving. He blesses giving from a right heart. 
That's what he wants to bless. Why? And that's our theme today, a heart to give. Because it's in our hearts that God wants to bless. It's by looking at what's in our heart that God wants to bless. And we'll pick it up. I'm going to pick up Deuteronomy 15, um, running from verse 7. I'm going to read the first few verses. And the first point on this is having a selfish heart. Because God knows that his people had a selfish heart. There was a risk they could have a selfish heart. It's not to say that you're selfish. I've already started the meeting by saying, God is blessing this church, I'm telling you. And I can see it in the metrics, and I can see it in what you're doing. I can see it when we have guest speakers come in. I can see it when we give to Macedonia. I tell you, the generosity in this church is brilliant. And I want to commend you for it. Um, But what is God doing? He's wanting to pour out. That's what he's wanting to do. So Genesis 15, let's just have a reflection now for a few moments. Genesis 15, verses 7 through to 9. But if there are any poor Israelites in your town when you arrive in the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Verse 8, instead be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year of cancelling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, it will be considered guilty or you will be considered guilty of sin. Now these are hard, I said this series is going to have some hard points in it. But look at this, these are scriptures. You know, the Old Testament isn't an old God. It's not about the old God and now we've got the new God. The Old Testament is the character of God revealed directly and straightforwardly and specifically. The New Testament reveals God's grace on top of the character of God. So what we've got is the the development of God's um, presence with humanity through grace. That's what we've got. So we're building on God's character and God's character um, is revealed here in Deuteronomy 15. But if there are any poor Israelites in your town when you arrive in the land, blah, 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 do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of cancelling debts is close at hand. Selfishness says, well, hang on, if I give, I'm going to lose. And what's the year of cancelling debts? In the Bible, if you read earlier on in Deuteronomy, you'll read, it's what they call the sabbatical year. And every seven years, there was a sabbatical year In fact, it was called in some translations the year of the Lord's release. Why is the year of the Lord's release important? Because that was the year that God cancelled all debts. See, God doesn't want just finance flowing. He wants debt freedom flowing. He wants people free from debts. So God's heart is to release finances, but to release freedom from debt as well. But the trouble is, these verses here are saying, if you see someone in need and you know that their debt is going to be cancelled in that seventh year, don't hold back from your generosity to that person. Do you get what I'm saying? So there's, a, there's an emphasis on the selfishness. Now, I think, um, I think people are born selfish by human nature. I think people are. I, I see a few heads nodding. Um, um, let me just have a little think about that. Uh, what's the first thing a child says when they're born? No, it's Dada. <laughs> I looked it up. I thought, I bet it's Mama. It's not, it's Dada. <laughs> Certainly in, in the West, in Britain it is. <laughs> in Bromley it is. No, I just, only just, it's just slightly, slightly earlier. In certain parts of the world, I think China, mama is first, actually, interestingly enough. I wonder why. But anyhow, um, Stanford research, by the way, reveals that. But what's the third, mama, dada, mama, and what's the third word? No, no well, that's pretty emphatic. No, it's, you're wrong. It's, uh, that's interesting. No and mine, of course, that's what we think, isn't it? Because kids are brilliant at saying no and mine. Actually, the third word is 
Baba. <laughs> so, so it's a, but no one mind, you're absolutely right. That's what I was getting to. Kids learn early to say no. And they learn very early to say mine. And you, know, you can almost picture it, can't you? The grabbing back of the toy, grabbing back of the apple or whatever it might be. No, mine. But um, you know, we think as we get older, we grow out of that. Um, it does happen, but not always. Um, who likes their hamburgers and fries? And how many have got wives that like to eat your hamburgers and fries? <laughs> do you want a burger and fries? No. Do you want mine? Yes. <laughs> Let me ask you about the TV remote then. <laughs> right. Who, who, who's got no TV in their house? Not a single person in this room has got no TV. Who's only got one TV in their house? Oh, quite surprising. That's more than I thought. Who's got two TVs in their house? A few. Who's got three TVs? Quite a few. Who's got three TVs in their house? The hands are still going up. And you live on your own. I don't know why. <laughs> why do we have so many TVs? I'll tell you why. Because there's always an argument over the remote. If I can't watch my... Okay, go into the other room and watch it on your own telly. I mean, that's where these ideas come from. Because we want to watch what we want to watch. You know... It's interesting, I, I kind of make light of it, but it's, it's interesting, human natures are naturally wired to want their own way. So we've just got to guard against a selfish heart. The second thing is in Deuteronomy as well is a grudging heart. It says in verse 10, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. This is a really good verse, this. Why? Because uh, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in, not in your finances, in everything you do. In every, listen to me, everything you do, he will bless you in everything you do if you're generous, in this case, to the poor. This generosity principle will cause blessing in everything you do. Now, we spend Wednesday night praying that God will bless people in this church and in community. I pray for you guys. I pray for different people. You know, but what's the point in me praying for you if you decide, well, you know, I'm going to be a bit tight today? <laughs> Because the route to, to blessing in God's kingdom is so simply easy to get to. You just be generous with people. You get generous where there's a need, where God speaks to you about a need. And as he speaks into your life, and as he whispers something into you that's secret, and you give towards somebody. And I can see people nodding, because you've had the experience that I've had. And that is that when you give, when God says, you see multiplication. Why? Because that's what God does. That's what he does. He does it time and time and time again. And if the money is the issue... What's going on in the heart? Second key point, this grudging heart point. So, um, give to the poor, not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. Um, and God, God will bless you in everything you do. That's his, his intention, is to bless you. Now, I was just thinking, I needed to show you an illustration, but I haven't got my wallet on me. Has anybody got any money? <laughs> Rob, have you got any money? Oh, oh, that's kind of you. I could do, use that later. Wow, Rob, 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 Rob. 50 pound note. That's very generous. I need to buy myself a hamburger for lunch. I can keep that, can't I? Thank you very much, Rob. You're thinking Rob's really generous, aren't you? Well, of course, it was my money that I gave to Rob. Now, there's an illustration here. If it was Rob's money being given to me, he would have probably been far more careful about what he did with his 50 pounds. But he knew it was my money. He didn't bat an eyelid, did he? He just went straight in and took it straight out. He was very happy and all smiles. He didn't know it was 
<laughs> Perfect. But it's interesting. When it's, when it's your money personally, you reflect differently when it's somebody else's. And where do we know that all our blessings come from? Everything we've got comes from Father. He's the one who gives. But we start to get ever so like, when he says, look, I want you to move it in that direction, we go, hang on a second, I've got a whole load of reasons why I can't. We start to build a list of reasons. And we start with ourselves, <laughs> or we start with our kids, we start with something else, uh, and we build a, a list of reasons. You know, it may be that you are in a, in a situation right now where you are in a debt situation. You know, as a church, we want to work with you, we want to try and help you, we want to sit down, and if we can, help navigate, if it's possible. What do we want to do? We want to see people free from bondage around debt finances. You know, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 1, 21, it says, Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors has promised you. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Why did God say, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged, when he said, go occupy the land? Well, they're both things that we make choices about. We make choices about fear, and we make choices about discouragement. They're not imposed on us. And God here said, if you're going to occupy the land, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Choose not to fear, choose not to be discouraged. So when it comes to things like finances, we've got to make some choices. We've got to make some choices. And if we allow the things that have damaged our heart and our confidence with God in the past, and you may be sitting here today feeling, you know, I trusted God, I, I trusted, I trusted, and it's all gone sour, it's gone pear-shaped, it's, it's been a problem. You can start to build a grudging heart and that will come out in different ways. But God's heart is not for you to have a grudging heart. His, his heart is to bless. And his heart is to have us in a place of generosity. The third point, a generous heart. Now, our BCC values include increasing generosity. Deuteronomy 15, 13 says, When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift. And it goes on. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord has given you and has blessed you. God wants us to be generous. In fact, in Matthew 6, and you're thinking, I'm still staying in the Old Testament. Let's jump to the New. Matthew 6.21, it says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, isn't that interesting? So many people think, you put your treasure where your heart is. That's not how it works. You put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Okay, there's a difference. There's a difference. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart. In other words, if you don't feel like you've got heart for God's kingdom, if you feel like your heart is not for the poor, for the lost, if you feel like your heart, in fact, if your heart is for something completely different, but you, you want to put it in the kingdom, how do you do it? You put your treasure where you want your heart to be. That's what you do. You put your treasure there. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. In other words, your heart's desires will follow where you put your finance. And God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. Put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Your heart doesn't naturally want to give away. Your heart doesn't naturally want to be obedient to God in the area of finance. Your heart doesn't naturally want... It doesn't want to. It naturally wants to fight. Why? There's this spirit of mammon in this age that is fighting with you to fight against God. Because... The spirit of this age doesn't want you to align yourself with God's principles. 
He wants to give you reasons not to, find critical reasons not to, injustice reasons not to, disadvantage reasons not to, even your own history of debt or poverty or something else, they become reasons for you not to do something. And God says that's not how it goes in the kingdom. In the kingdom you put your treasure in the right place and you make that choice and then your heart will follow. It will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give it you. And how do you know that's true? Because if you buy stocks and shares, what do you do? You track those stocks and shares. If you bought, if you spent £100 on stocks or £100 on shares, you want to know where those stocks are going up. And what's, what you're going to be watching from week to week or month to month or year to year, you want to make sure that thing's growing. And you know what? You might even be praying for those stocks and shares. God, make them grow. So what happens? Your heart is where your money goes. And God says, put your heart into the kingdom. Have your heart tied into the kingdom. Be intentional about it. You know, even in the New Testament, in Romans 12, we know that there's the spiritual gift of giving. And I believe there are many people in this church with that gift in them. And it's just a case of releasing that gift. I believe it's, it, there's many in, in this church like that. You know, in Isaiah, um, so we talked about uh, a generous heart. In Isaiah 32, 8, it says, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. This thing doesn't just happen. It doesn't just sort of sp spill out of nothingness. Generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm. You make a plan and you stand firm. Strength and courage. We have to have strength and courage. So in a sense, what we want as takeaways from the meeting is what are we going to plan to do with what God is giving us? You know, in the business world years ago, I saw the guys that I used to work with and some of them were really, really generous. And it was by far the case that the ones that were the most generous were actually the most successful. I found it extraordinary. I saw it time and time and time again. They were generous um, with people around them and in their worlds and I saw them being successful. The fourth and final point is having a grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15. Remember that you, were once, that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I'm giving you this command. And what command is he referring to? He's referring to the command of being generous. We read it about having a generous heart. That's why I'm giving you this command. So God gave the command to the Israelites to remember where they come from and to be generous. You were once slaves. It's a picture of sin. We, were, we once had meaningless lives. We were lost in purpose. But Jesus Christ has saved us. And because he saved us, he's brought us into his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's a different perspective on worldly values. There's a different perspective entirely. We know in his kingdom, we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that blessing is not just financial, but it is financial, but it's time, it's serving, it's friendship, it's hospitality, it's um, going the extra mile. But it doesn't exclude fight. Maybe you're someone who says, well, you know what? I, I, I want to be really loving to people, but actually on the finance side, I'm going to be really, really, I'm going to hold back because there's a reason. Because something in my heart's become a grudge. I'm going to hold back on that. But actually God makes a pinpoint. He says, be generous because all these blessings follow when you are generous, when you are listening to me, when you, when you identify yourself with me and not with the world. Blessed to be a blessing. God commands our generosity. Extravagance comes from a gratitude, or from the gratitude that, for what God has done for us. But what God has done for us in the past isn't where we stay. It's what he wants to do for us today and the future. Now, I have seen or ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And I can't escape the fact that finances and generosity in a financial sense are tied to God's um, heart in kingdom and his his knowledge of our heart and our perspective with him, his perspective with us, 
He looks at where and what we do privately. He looks at it. He looks at where we are in that space. Um, he looks at whether our confidence is in him or in something else. What keeps us asleep, uh, awake at night? What, what is it that we can't sleep be, because of? God wants to bless us. God wants us to be confident in him. And with that confidence comes blessing. We're going to look at Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. The, word, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Amazing. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. It's Proverbs 24, 24, 25. You can look it up. Unless they've got the wrong reference at the back. Uh, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. You know, we are in a place of blessing as a church today because of what has happened in years before us. And this week, I, was, um, I had an area team meeting for the AOG guys. Uh, we met at BCC and we put all the staff out of the youth room. We changed it all. We set it all up and allowed the guys in. Um, and bless his heart, Gary was late for the meeting by half an hour. He got held up with uh, trans transport and travelling. And um, the, the guys in the room, there were about nine of us, I think, at that time, we, we just decided, we'll just talk about what God's doing around the churches in the London area, what God's doing. And I wasn't, I wasn't the first to speak. I just was listening to what they said. And one of my dear friends said, oh, we just, it was just amazing. God is really moving in our church. Um, the church is becoming so generous. That was his default response. The church is becoming generous. And uh, I thought, that's interesting. interesting. It certainly wasn't his priority in conversation. And I'd never heard these guys talk like this. But this week, they did. And this one guy said, it's amazing. We, we did a, a campus offering. Now, the campus is small. The church is a lot smaller than this. And they, did, they just did an, an offering. They just decided to, to do an offering as a church. And the church donated, just above the tithes, £18,000. And this guy was just, he's just amazed. He said, I didn't know the church had it in them to just be that generous. He was so chuffed. And uh, then the next guy along the room was talking about some other great things God's doing. wasn't anything to do with finances. Then somebody else. And then it got to another guy in the room who's a dear friend of mine. Now their church um, is very similar size to our church. And he amazed me with what he told me. But before we I tell you what he said, I just want to show you something. I want to remind you of something I mentioned a little while back. Who was at New Wine in 2013? Anyone? Just a few of us. Do you remember that incredible service? There was a guy in there called Steve Morris who worked, and I have mentioned this before at the church, but I just want to remind us of the spontaneity and, and the release in God's kingdom. A guy called Steve Morris, a young guy, and I went back and listened to this. You can see it on YouTube. If you, if you type in Steve Morris, New Wine 2013, you can watch this happen online. Steve Morris is invited as a last-minute stand-in for a speaker who couldn't come from Africa because he couldn't get access to the UK. And Steve Morris speaks on the, on the, on the main platform, the arena, the main platform. didn't even know which platform it was. He didn't, he'd never been in, in that particular meeting before. This guy, Steve, um, thought, well, what can I talk about to all these adults? And there were thousands of people in this room. And he talked about how to truly influence the next generation. And he said, if you're going to influence the next generation, you need to live and not just sing about your kingdom faith. 
You've got to live it. You've got to really, really live it. And he started to talk about it. He talked about the heavyweight nature of James. He said how the book of James is full of really heavyweight punches. And uh, he said, I'm five foot six. And uh, we, we talked about James. And um, he said, you've got to have authenticity in your church when it comes to things of the kingdom. And uh, he said, faith without works is dead. That's what he led as his preach. Faith without works is dead. And he talked about faith. And, he talked to, and by implication, he started to talk about finance, funnily enough. You might think, what, why would he automatically do that? But he did. He talked about finance. He talked about how he and his fiance or his wife, I forget which, uh, they would put some money together to buy a flat. And I think they gathered £4,000, something like that, uh, maybe 5000 But they'd been to South Africa and they knew there was a project need down there. And they needed to build a school there. And he thought, you know what? I'm just going to give the money to that school project and I'll get forgiveness of my my wife, fiance, afterwards. So Steve took this rather brave and courageous decision, that's what he would do. I'm not saying you should all go out and do that in BCC, <laughs> but he did it. And as a result of that, he said, um, and he was just talking, while he's talking, someone came up to the platform and put like a £10 note on the platform. This is this huge arena. And as he's continuing to talk, someone else comes up, and Liz and I were sitting very near to the front, and somebody else way back comes down, they've, they've, they've put another note on the platform. And then somebody else comes down, puts another note. Uh, and before long, this one or two, and you, I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were putting rubbish on it or something. And they were picking up litter. But they didn't. They just came and put money on the platform. And it was like the Spirit of God moved people to give and to give with generosity. And during that service, as it went along, that stage got fuller and fuller and fuller. And there were piles of notes all the way across the stage. And in the end, they had to go and get baskets to put these notes in. People just spontaneously given. And they calculated afterwards, the amount given was, I believe it's around about £40,000. No offering appeal. But the kingdom of God is based on these kind of things happening. It was just extraordinary. Now, do you believe me? Have you got that picture you can pop up on screen? That is a very, very bad photo, probably taken from an iPhone, of piles of money, <laughs> and they didn't have offering baskets. They, would, they literally went and found bins by the look of things. They were trying to gather it in bins. Anyway, they added it all up, and it, this flowed into the young people as, as well, and they worked out, like, as I say, with um, all the money, it was about £40,000, but it didn't stop there. That amount grew afterwards because of the giving there, and it became £50,000. And the project was met. But what was even more ironic is that the guy that was leading the meeting at New Wine that year, and this is only two years ago, um, they, they had a call, I believe it was that the following day or overnight from the US, some guys in the States were praying, and they said, God is going to bless this project, but he's going to provide the finances not as bits and pieces, it's going to be like a, a waterfall. It's going to be an avalanche of finance. And look what God did. That's what, look what God did. Sometimes we minimise what God can do in his kingdom. And we think, you know, it's, it's something out there, but it's actually something in here. In fact, it's something right in here. That's where these things happen. As we are obedient to God, as we listen to what he says, and as the spirit moves. And as, as we were in this meeting with the, the guys from AOG area team, um, we got to the next guy. And funny enough, he was the one who said, why don't we share what God's doing? And I thought, he must have something really good to share. And he did have something really good to share. He said he felt that God told him to go to the church and just say, look, we're going to start the next phase of what we're going to do as a church. And we feel that, that we want to open it to you guys to demonstrate your support and generosity for what we're going to do. That was it. He, and he said, you know, Mark, 
we gave them two weeks notice. That's it. There was no like big planning session. It wasn't like going to the... He said, it was just, he said we weren't sure we should do it. We just decided we're going to just take it to the church and let, let the church respond. Now, if I tell you that New Wine, thousands and thousands of people donated £40,000. His church, which is smaller than BCC, raised £143,000 in one Sunday morning. How is that possible? It's possible when God provides, when God makes a way. Now, we're not going to do that at the end of this service. I'm not saying, guys, <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we're going to prepare our thinking. We want to get our hearts right. I'm telling you, God wants to work mightily. Remember what Fred said in the offering? If that fist is clenched, that's not what God wants. He wants an open hand so that what he's got can pass through our hands into his work and into his kingdom. That's all I'm going to say this morning. That's what I want to leave with you. This principle that our heart is what is most important of, about all this stuff and then making a plan to allow God to work through what he's already doing. He's already working massively in the church. You guys are already generous. I'm just telling you, he's going to be doing more. Remember what I said at the beginning? Year three, there's going to be planting and multiplication. God told us that over a year ago, that's what he's going to do. I'm telling you, the season is coming now. It's your choice. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but I think we should worship now. I think we should thank God for his provision. We should thank God that he gives us what we've got.